Bette Midler, Einstein, and Mordecai Richler, Abby Alana, and their pal Wolf Blitzer. That guy my Bobby once met on a cruise. These are a few of my favorite Jews. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of A Few of My Favorite Jews. I am sitting here in the waiting room on Zoom waiting for my guest to arrive, and I'm going to do my intro while I wait. My guest today is Janelle Dennis. I'm really, truly so excited to talk to her because I think she is the perfect guest for this podcast. Firstly, she's just the coolest. Um, I just think she's so cool and uh, so, so funny and so interesting and so smart. And then she also is someone who happens to have a favorite Jew that she talks about all the time, and that Jew is Larry David. And... I have a feeling she's going to have a lot to say about him. Bit about Janelle, she's a stand-up comedian. She's performed at Field Trip. She's performed on the CBC. She's performed at Just for Laughs. She also hosts a weekly Instagram show with her friend Leah that I just adore. Uh, It's every Thursday at 9 p.m. It's called Pull Up. They talk about issues of race. They make fun of and call out performative activism. And just generally, the two of them have an extremely hilarious dynamic. I'm a big fan of that show, and I strongly recommend you check it out. Yeah, she has like a fancy, cool job. She left us comedians in the dust, as she should. Um, I don't know if it's a job she publicizes, so I mean, I won't say anything about it. Um, What I can say, what I will say, is that um, she works with somebody whose name is spelled P-U-T-I-N. No, she doesn't work with Putin. Um, He should be so lucky. A little bit about me, uh, I have been journaling quite a lot more, which I really enjoy because it. I, I have a terrible memory, and if I journal pretty regularly, I find sometimes it will bring up memories that I had completely forgotten about. And I was journaling recently, and I, rem- I had this memory, uh, just, a, just a beautiful memory about childhood friendship. And I think I was maybe 12 or 13, and I got braces, and my braces um, gave me a gap tooth, <laughs> um, so I didn't. So I did not have a gap tooth. But then I got braces, and my braces, my braces provided me with the gap tooth. Okay. Uh, previously, my two front teeth had been a, a unit. They'd been a team. They'd, they'd been a couple. Um, and then after the braces, they took some space. Uh, so yeah, my braces gave me a gap tooth. Um, they did not give me bigger boobs or a smaller pot belly. And I was feeling super insecure about it. And maybe like two weeks before school started, two of my girlfriends at the time, two other little girls I was friends with, um, because I was friends with other children at the time, you know, I wasn't one of those um, 13-year-old girls whose best friend, you know, was a 26-year-old woman. Um, Like my best friend, Sheila, who's 10. Um, Anyway, so two of my friends at the time, uh, who they knew I was feeling insecure, uh, re the newly founded Gap Tooth, they called me up and they were like, okay, we have a surprise. Uh, We're going to go somewhere this weekend, but we're not going to tell you where. And uh, uh, we went to uh, the mall and they brought me to La Senza Girl so that we could buy padded bras so that I would feel less insecure about my Gap Tooth. And I just, it was so beautiful and it, it, it worked. I mean, it, it, I felt so much better about myself. It was very sweet. And I do think there's a, a lesson to be learned here, which is that if you are a little girl, um, it doesn't matter if your face is busted as long as you have giant tits. Now I do currently have, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 11 crystals laid out in front of me. And maybe now is the time to chat a little bit about 
my foray into crystalhood. I spent much of my 20s uh, actively mocking people who bought crystals. And I, I will continue to spend my 30s actively mocking people who buy crystals. I just happen to be one of those people now. I don't know what happened. I think I... <laughs> I think that it was um, sobriety mixed with COVID. I was struggling a little bit uh, to self-soothe. And when you can't drink or, or do any drugs anymore, your brain tricks you into thinking that there's some kind of tangible object that you can consume or touch that will uh, help you out because you're so used to having a coping mechanism that is outside of yourself. and you know, all my friends love crystals. I, I, the fact that I didn't love crystals and the fact that I wasn't into astrology was a legitimate barrier to some of my friendships. <laughs> I, I really, I, I, I pretended to be into astrology because I wanted to be a bridesmaid still, you know, I don't want to be kicked out of the friend group. So I started to dive and I did a little research and I thought I'll buy one crystal and I'll tell myself and I'll tell other people that I bought it because it's pretty and I find it soothing and I hold it in my hand and there's it, it weighs my hand down, which is grounding. These are all true things. But do I also think that the crystal is emitting some kind of magical spirit? Do I think my dead grandmother's inside of it? A little bit. A small amount. Here's the thing. Uh, I love science. Um... You know, I'm in AA and I, I think a lot about higher power and I am trying to come to mine. And I uh, really struggled with admitting that I have an interest in something that has absolutely no foundation in science and is completely unprovable. I think it's okay. <laughs> Isn't that shocking that I, I think something that I'm doing is okay? Uh, I think it's okay because I think that we don't always know uh, exactly why something might be helping us. Listen, the placebo effect changes your, your brain, right? Um, thinking is powerful. You can create new neural pathways just by new behaviors, just by engaging in new behaviors. So I don't really care exactly why it's working. And I don't think that there being a scientific explanation for something makes it any less holy or spiritual. I think that, uh, you know, if we found out years from now that a bunch of things in the, uh, you know, sacred Hebrew text turned out to be completely explainable by science, it wouldn't make it any less holy. I think it would make it more holy. Uh, I love science. So, wow. Wow, I can really go on and on. Uh, okay, just holding out for my delightful podcast guest, Miss Janelle Dennis, who is currently drinking coffee. Now, I am going to ask her if it's caffeinated. Um, and if it is, my socks will just be blown right off. And you know what? Good, because I fucking hate my socks. Someone blew them on to me recently. I, somebody told, told me something that I was completely underwhelmed by, and my socks were blown on to me. And I resent that, and I would love to have them blown right off. And I would love to know that Janelle is drinking uh, caffeinated coffee at 7.17 p.m., which would absolutely keep me up all night, which is very Jewish. Uh, I'm sensitive. I'm, I got a sensitive, you know, chemistry in my, my stomach. You know, I can't just be putting anything in my body at 7.17 p.m. All right, let's get started. Uh, can we, uh, like, air this? Is this legit? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I get the Larry sex appeal. I, I, I know so many women 
who are, like, weirdly attracted to Larry David. <laughs> I hate that, the weirdly attracted to I hate like, it, too. <laughs> it's such bullshit. It's all, when I, like, whenever someone says that, first of all, what if someone said that about me? How offended would I? It's like, just be attracted to me. It's, it's this, it's like saying I watch The Bachelor ironically. Like, you just oh, watch, just, yeah. you just like things or you don't. Exactly. You like, you're watching it. it. Are you? So it doesn't, to me, it doesn't matter why you're watching. If you're hate, those people are like, I hate watching it. Okay, so you hate it that much that you're going to invest most of your time in it. It sounds kind of like you love it. <laughs> most of your time. It takes up so much time because it's like the two hours you have to watch. Then, like, all the time in the group chat spent, like, obsessing about it. My friends are in a <laughs> fucking pool, a bachelor pool, which takes up a good chunk of their time. What? So this is going into fantasy sports. <laughs> yeah. Ness of yeah, yeah, the yeah, bachelor yeah. now? Yeah. They, and then they I have a, a fantasy league of them. It. In in their uh, sports fantasy league, a fantasy fantasy a fantasy fantasy league just just with me, but I just want to be included. <laughs> no, but I feel like oh. that's. I mean, first of all, you're giving it views no matter what. But anyways, it feels like the same thing as saying like I'm weirdly attracted to somebody. It's like you're just attracted to them, and and that's fine. And I feel you know, sure, Larry David is kind of old. But I do also feel like there is a bit of, uh, maybe not full-on anti-Semitism, but, like, he's not, like, a an Aryan prince, okay? Like, he looks like a Jewish man. Um, yeah, he's not, for the whites, he's not that, uh, yeah, he's not the, the pinnacle of whiteness. He's not which a I, I yeah. prefer. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Larry has, has big dick energy. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Can we, get, can we get into this? What do you find attractive about... Larry. Okay. Like, is it physical and personality? So I, or is it a combination? I will say, so I feel like you've probably seen the photo of him uh, when, like, when he was hot-ish and he had, like, hair. Yeah. And it's so funny because then there's, I was, like, on Google Images and there's that photo and then, like, right next to it um, is, like, f- full, like, balding, wiry, crazy hair glasses like he looks like a a different guy but it looks like the pictures were taken maybe a year apart like the evolution just was so fast um so what it no it's wild i'll send you the two photos like he looks like it's it's the same age um and anyways he has like a face in there where like i can sort of picture him as a handsome young man but above all else it's it's his vibe like and I don't, I don't, I think we all wish that Larry David is in real life the way he is in, like, Curb, which I think he's close to being, but you can't, that's unsustainable to be like that all the time. Yeah, and he's admitted that he's not. Have you ever read, I don't remember if it was GQ or Esquire, there was this whole, or maybe, I don't think it was New York Times, but you know the, those full-on expose magazine uh articles about celebrity features where they're like and then i sat in the lobby as i waited and 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 larry david pulled up wearing scuffed yeah, yeah, sneakers yeah. and they both <laughs> yeah. into the whole, it's like, like 19 fan. pages and it's like he ordered a cob <laughs> salad i got mine without dressing you're yeah. not painting a picture you're just the minutiae of this is intolerable 
But yes, yeah. I know exactly. In what you're print, about. It, yeah, but I read all of it and it was a really, really long article and that's exactly how it was. And so this guy explains and he the whole article is him trying to delineate curb Larry from regular Larry. Mm. And there was a story that he told of them at this restaurant. And the waiter comes over, the waiter's like this young whippersnapper comes over and Larry's coffee gets cold and the waiter comes over and then Larry's like, it suggests how he should do it. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, shouldn't you make over the whole thing? Because if you just top it up, then it's still going to be cold. Like that would make sense, right? Like he, and the, the way the author was explaining it, he's like, if it were anybody else, it would seem rude, but it was Larry and yeah. it, all of us were just, we were so excited. You yeah, can yeah, even yeah. see on the waiter's face that he's like, oh, I'm in it. This is Curb. I'm in it. Yeah. This is, I'm, I'm a part of this experience. Like everyone's just so happy to be in that, like, oh, we're getting the real LD. Um, but then it goes into how he's different and how Larry, Larry goes into a lot about how my favorite thing that Larry says, even in, in interviews is how people are disappointed when they meet him because he's he's like I'm it's not that well he doesn't go out of his way to be nice but at the same time he's not like super egregious like he is on the show yeah 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 he's like I'm just more boring because the Larry that we see on tv is who he wish is what he wishes he could do exactly yeah what he wishes he could say so it's still a part of him because he's thinking those thoughts but the TV Larry takes it one step further and actually says them. Whereas real Larry is quote unquote normal and, yeah. you know, keep inside. Well, real, real Larry has to get by in, in, in an actual society and not in a society he wrote for himself. Yeah. <laughs> like he actually needs to survive. But I do think he, I do think he's like misanthropic and like, I think he does turn people off and like, I'm sure he's ended a few friendships in his life. I, I like to imagine that he's, a little disagreeable in real life because exactly what you're saying about the guy at the restaurant. Like it is, it is sort of the thrill of his whole persona. But then I wonder, like, do you think that if Larry just existed, like, is it because we know him or is that, is he just like Mm -hmm. fundamentally likable in this really specific way? Like if he hadn't been Larry David and you were at a restaurant and he did that, would I be like, what a fucking douchebag? I don't, I really don't know. Hmm. Uh, I, I think <laughs> this is like hindsight's always twenty twenty. But I think we would, and I think let's say that Larry hadn't made Curb, mm-hmm. but we still knew him as the right as one of the writers from Seinfeld. Yeah, I definitely think that would still be the case because George. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. my favorite and like I yeah, see yeah, myself yeah. <laughs> so cocky I see myself as like Marissa Tomei <laughs> and <laughs> there's something about George and that actually is I will say a uh, quote-unquote weirdly attracted um, like because- Jason Alexander George like George yeah. George you have a thing for not physically okay okay Sure, no one does. Yeah, no, I, I don't, yeah. you know, not to be a dick. That's but that's not his appeal. He has a different appeal. You know. Yeah, that's true. So knowing that George is Larry, yeah, adds to the appeal of Larry. I see what you're saying. I think it's the. I think it comes down to the honesty. Yeah. Of it all. Yeah. 
Even though that doesn't also kind of doesn't make sense because George was such a liar. George lied about everything. But for you to write a character that is so open about how dishonest they are, it kind of comes around full circle and means that you're the most honest I person. I totally there agree. Is. In fact, I was gonna say like essentially what you said, and then I was like, is this a sociopathic thought? But I'm like something about lying is truthful, or like something about the way that that George lies is so okay it's so vulnerable i think that's what it is it's like he's so fucking disgustingly human at all times and his lies are just all about self-preservation and like trying to stay afloat that that is so honest um okay let me pull myself in without being noisy so uh just like to start well we've already started but to officially start what i had a feeling you were gonna pick larry just because i hear you talk about him a lot when (laughs) i I watch you from afar um and I want to know why you chose him or like why you love him so much. I wish I had a straightforward answer to that. It doesn't have to be straightforward. It could be convoluted as hell. Mm, oh, uh, I think it goes back to the same George appeal. I like Larry because he, he, he just gives you this dose of honesty that we don't get in real life. And I like when people are sure about themselves, like so sure about themselves in terms of what they like and what they dislike and, you know, certain rules about society that they agree with and they think, okay, we have this in place. We act like this for a reason. We need to keep this in place, which is pretty much what Curb is all about. Like society's unwritten rules or sometimes unspoken rules. Mm So you have those people that say, well, you know, um, you have to, I'm trying to think of an example, like, oh, if you're, if you're late for something, the first thing you have to do is apologize. And so that's a rule that a lot of people will enforce. Mm-hmm. And then if someone doesn't do that, then I, I, I like both sides of the spectrum is what I'm saying. Yes. Is I like the people that really acknowledge that someone should do that. And then the other people that think why should i why do i need to apologize for being late i was clearly something happened clearly nobody wants to be late yeah but i I just like nitpicking if the yeah the minutiae essentially that's the concise way of saying no yeah totally whatever side of it you're on just that it's being pointed out at all and it's not just like happening in the background this is going on all the time let's like bring it forward and like give a shit about it I actually, as you were just saying that, formulated a theory in my head, and it's a really loose <sighs> one, so I'm going to just see what happens. I so, love a theory. Larry's a Jew, obviously, um, and he, his parents were, like, Polish Jews. He's, like, an Ashkenazi Jew. He grew up in Brooklyn, and so I imagine they were practicing Jews. I'd be really surprised if they weren't, and J- Judaism... I think he said they were. Because where, where he grew up in Brooklyn was um, where a lot of the more closer to Orthodox for sure. Jews Practicing are. Jews, for sure. And also just most... Also, is it okay for me to say Jew? I just want to make sure. Yeah. I know some people are like, it's derogatory. Some people are like, it, it isn't. No. Do I have to say Jewish? Please, no, say Jew. Say, okay. say whatever you want within reason. <laughs> um, no, please say Jew. Uh, but, and also like just the time, the generation his parents would have come up in the... And also because they came over from Poland after, like, the pogroms, and I just think they were pretty Jewish. And there's so much, like, 
sort of OCD built into Jewish customs. Little teeny tiny things you can and can't do. Um, And then you have to wash your hands a lot of the time. And I think that maybe that's part of why typical Jewish personality, at least from Larry's generation, is kind of all about the minutiae because Judaism is all about the minutiae. Yeah, because even if we go back to Seinfeld, that's what every episode was about. I think that's why Frank Costanza, rest in peace, Jerry Stiller, was so funny because he was an example because you had Estelle that kind of fit that bill of being the stereotypical overbearing Jewish mother. And then Frank was all the way on the other side. Yeah. And and that's what made George. And so I wonder if Larry's parents were similar to Frank and Estelle. I would imagine. In fact, Frank and Estelle are not like far off from a lot of Jewish grandparents. My my parents' generation, the boomers are not quite as like loud um or like stereotypically overbearing that's actually not even true but i i wouldn't be surprised if larry's parents were like that it would explain a lot about him although the difference between larry and george and this is also you know a lot of this might have to do with jason alexander's portrayal like he's putting a lot of himself into it is that larry does have this sort of there's a vibe to him that like while he cares and is obsessing about all these things he is sort of he sort of like floats above it and that's part mm. of his sort of sex appeal whereas george is like fucking bogged down in it all the time yeah you know wow i never thought of that before if you compare george to to larry and larry and curb they're the same character but also at the same time opposite characters yeah really because different. larry is more similar to george in the episode where he did everything the, the opposite. opposite. Yeah. Which is is one of the greatest Seinfeld episodes. And, like, TV episodes of all time. Yeah. It, it's just genius. And that's why no one can really copy it. Like, not to uh, friends. Um, <laughs> that's why no one can really copy. Are you a friends Seinfeld. hater? Like, do you legitimately dislike friends? Or do you just think they try too hard to be Seinfeld? I mean, it's fun to hate on friends, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Also because now knowing that friends was essentially a ripoff of of living single. Um, I have to be honest though, when Friends was airing, I was a huge Friends fan. Mm-hmm. And I would make my school, uh, I went to a school in Scarborough in in Toronto and it was an alternative public school. Mm-hmm. So essentially a school for kids who should have been homeschooled or who parent, whose parents wanted to homeschool them but couldn't. Okay. So our curriculum was just very more free spirited. It was like Google, it was like a Google campus. But in, but in an elementary Toronto school. Okay. So we had beanbag chairs and we got to, we did a lot more artistic types of assignments. So one of them was making a, you, cho- you could choose any character from a book or TV show. And then you had to make a memory box and add things to the memory box that would reflect that character. And I chose Ross from Friends. And so I, I went all out. <laughs> I went all out. I made a comic book. I made Ben, because you know how his son was Ben, Dylan Cole Sprouse yep. in the show. Um, I, I think I the had plural is bottles. spry. Huh? The plural of Sprouse is spry. So like the spry. <laughs> Sprouse. Dylan Cole Sprouse. That's so funny to me that 
There's so many things I put in it, but then it got damaged in a flood. <gasps> oh my God. Um, <laughs> and I, that was, and the thing is our whole apartment, like uh, my mom and I were essentially technically speaking homeless for three months. And by homeless, I mean that we didn't have a home. We weren't out on the street, but Red Cross uh, put us up in, in these college so dorms, in this college dorm thing. Yeah. Um, but a, a lot of our belongings were permanently destroyed and insurance was trying to cover it. And I didn't really care about all the things that were destroyed, except for my Ross Geller memory box. I was. <laughs> I think that was God's way of like wiping Ross out of your life. But do you feel like um, losing personal items like that in a flood gave you like a sense of like, are you good at letting things go now? I'm absolutely not any better at letting go. Mm. And that, if anything, that that reinforced it for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really bad. How old were you when that happened? A low-key hoarder, but now more so a digital hoarder, for sure. I never even considered that you could digitally hoard, and now I'm realizing that I 100% am a digital hoarder. Yeah, I have an old phone that the screen is complete. Oh, it's right here. <laughs> the screen's completely smashed. It got run over in New York by a car. Right accessible to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just in case. I hold on to old, old phones and stuff, but I also just hoard actual files, like things that I absolutely don't need or won't use. And I think that I think if like, if and when I were to pass away, um, when, uh, that someone, I just, I'm like, I want. <laughs> the crystals are going to keep you alive. <laughs> just give me life forever. forever. I'll just totally. go inside of them. Um, but that people will find my technology so that they can like paint a picture of my life, you know, in case I never write a memoir. <laughs> I, I think about my, I, I, ever since I was a kid, I've always thought about my death and, and what's going to happen afterwards and how I want to be perceived. And like, I always think about how I make plans that I want to set up. Like if I know that I'm going to die, I want to have, uh, <laughs> this is going to sound so psychotic. I'm so excited. I want to have like, two assistants or two people that are d dedicated to two different things. One person dedicated to almost kind of like what you said um, in terms of um, build uh, just that person that after I die can communicate all of the, the good things about me. You know, maybe they're a journalist or like a journalist intern or something. And so I slide. Them I like that you demoted it right away. You're like a journalist <laughs> or like more realistically a journalist intern. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a little confidence I have in myself that I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to pay them. So Go I guess a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other person is like the ex-mafia type. Maybe that's a, so dramatic. No, but no, no. The person I want to assign to destroy a mm, lot of my things. Okay. I, I would need, if I were to die, I would need like to, or like when I'm on the deathbed, like, Let's say, okay, let's say it's a situation where it's like a pull the plug situation. And then let's say I give the consent to pull the plug. I need a separate plug to press, to detonate and have that person <laughs> go in and burn <laughs> all of my stuff that I don't want anyone seeing. <laughs> it would be cool if you could organize it so it's one plug, that, that it's like... <laughs> You pull it and it's like by Janelle and by Janelle's like darker, <laughs> darker shit. Um, I mean, also, I think like when I say that I want people to find my stuff, not even because I got famous, but in case I don't, 
get famous. That's even <laughs> like the bigger part of it. Someone the can be like posthumous fame. She should have been. Guys, we found it. I am gonna gently pull it back to um, uh, Jews and Larry David. Okay, first of all, <laughs> did you like grow up with Jews? Like, what's your relationship to Judaism and Jewish people? I don't think I grew up with any Jewish people, and if they did, I didn't know. I wasn't yeah. aware. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely more of a when I got older type of thing and then moving to new york was yeah. a whole whole next level that i'm surrounded by and then one thing and me my friend leah that i i always reference um and hopefully she's on another episode we we have this theory and i have this theory with my boss too who's also jewish and my one of my ex-bosses who's also jewish that jamaicans and, and jews get along very very well because there's a lot of cultural similarities mm-hmm. it's like near, almost kind of like when you compare judaism to islam there's a yeah. lot of similarities there i think from a baseline secular culture standpoint jamaicans and jews um are very similar like even our parents so like the whole stereotypical overbearing jewish mother the one who nitpicks of what's your what you're wearing or why did you do this and and gets you in your head and and is mm-hmm. you know it, if you were to explain it to your therapist the cause the root cause of your anxiety that's jamaicans all the way yeah my i describe when i describe my mom to people i describe her as larry david interesting like my mom yeah is very very similar to him oh. she won't always vocalize it but all the things that he thinks she thinks all of those things and then she tells them to me on the phone i mean she had beef um <laughs> she had beef with a three-year-old <laughs> <laughs> what about and she says so matter of factly this is what she said to me she said she's like you know what i it's just I knew I didn't like her ever since she was one. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And she's like, she's like, I just knew. And then now, like, she's she's uh, she's a family member, and she oh lives my in Jamaica. God. And she's kind of like one of she is a creepy kid. And I know because I have a friend who came to Jamaica with me and met this kid, and oh I met God. her after the fact, and I forgot that this was the kid my mom had beef with, and I'm like, oh. This kid is weird. (laughs) This kid is just like so overbearing and like she gets whatever she wants Mm. and she cries and screams, but like that almost kind of psychotic where, not psychotic, but like, you know, we cry with no tears, like a manipulative cry. So this kid is like very, this kid is very smart and manipulative and just like creepy and has no boundaries and almost like, I don't know. I don't like her. She doesn't sound cool. Okay, so yeah. you, you didn't really grow up with Jews, um, but Jamaican oh, culture wow. overlaps. Yeah. No, I, I, I went like, on a huge tangent on that one. I literally, I, oh, tangents only is the vibe of the podcast. <laughs> tangents only is the new, um, new name of the podcast. Tangents only. Uh, I love a good tangent. But, uh, yeah, but the Jamaican and Jewish culture are similar, and I tend to agree with that. Yeah. Um, so I get along really well with most Jewish people I tend to get along really well. Like, I think it's Jewish people who are, and it's an, it's a theory that both Leah and I share. I'm going to throw her under the bus a little bit that Jewish people faced adversity as a culture. They're the white people who faced adversity. Mm-hmm. 
And also, they're the white people who are hated by other white people. We have a really interesting identity. Yeah, and I think it's the complexity there, where you're like, okay, we're we're kin, because I relate to you on all these these levels, and you just get it. Yeah, I mean, Jewish identity, especially, like, Jewish North American identity, um, is so bizarre, because, like, okay, first of all, we're white, like, that's, we are white, and a lot of the benefits, like, I think that a lot of, you know, people talk a lot about, like, Jewish success, and, wow, we really overcame adversity to find all this success in America, but, um, that's whiteness. Like, I think that, I think that also hiding our identity, changing our last names, playing into our whiteness versus our Judaism Mm. is what allowed us to, like, hold some of the positions we hold now, which is what makes it so complicated because it's, like, good for us, but yet we sit in this weird little, like, this weird little spot. Um, But yeah, I mean, definitely we've seen some shit. We definitely have like and also it, now acknowledging that there are black black Jews, but specifically for the sake of this question, I was referring to white Jews. Yeah, that's a, a good point to uh, acknowledge. Um, and then, okay, so I guess my question, like, when you watched, you did you grow up on Seinfeld and Curb, or I guess Curb would have been a bit later, but like, did you watch it when it was on? Seinfeld, kind yes and no. By that I mean when, because I'm. 31 so when it was airing in early 90s at at its peak i wasn't watching it then right because i i thought i thought it was boring and then i think it was grade seven or eight one of my best friends uh nikki escovedo and one of my other best friends at the time uh, sophia chen they were both obsessed with Seinfeld and they would always just quote things and, 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 you know, that's, that, that was a time in my life where I wanted to be accepted so hard. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to research this. Uh, if, if that's what it takes to, to be liked and I, I want to be on these inside jokes, I need to, I need to start watching this now. And so then I started watching it just for just to up up myself in the in the middle school social ladder, and it, I mean it did work. Look at you now, then, like, yeah. Because then I was <laughs> quoting and I'm quoting like all the all the easiest stuff like soup Nazi and yeah, I was quoting Puerto Day Parade, all these man. And, and you know what? Now I don't regret it because it it was like a I forced myself to like it because I I was just like okay, well these girls that I really respect and yeah. I'm their friend and I want to be their friend even more. Uh, it's Sophia Chen. I mean, it's, it's the cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> I had to send this to her, by the way. Um, like, it's, the, it's the cool thing. Yeah. So I want to be cool. Like, I'm not going to not be cool. If I have a choice to, to, to be cool or not be cool, I'm going to choose. And all I have to do is watch this show. Yeah. yeah. That's all I have to, all do. I have to do. Watch a show about these these four these four white people, four white people. that I really don't understand. Because that was the time where I was hardcore in my friends phase. I'm like, wait, uh, why do they like wait, what you guys don't want friends? Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. I thought that was the cool thing. You're like, why are these so, four people but, not all like fuck like having sex with each other and like being like I mean Elaine was gorgeous, but like they weren't the four most fuckable people on TV. It was a very different vibe than friends yeah it was for mediocre horrible because they, they were horrible people horrible people horrible people. yeah 
And I think I wasn't ready at that stage of my life. I wasn't ready for characters like that. I needed, I needed clear cut, easy things. Yeah, for like, sure. okay, well, all of the friends cast, they're all lovable and they, they'll do bad things sometimes, but then yeah. they redeem themselves. Anything that they do that's bad, it's, you know, they had a really, they were justified and they had a really good reason to lie. They had. Uh, yeah. And then like they go, da, 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 da. And you're like. <laughs> I feel like emotional resolution. Like, I just feel like something was resolved. And I can't explain why, but I just do. <laughs> the music is a good point. Meanwhile, Seinfeld's like, boop, boop, boop. Yeah, exactly. It's so abrasive and, like, weird. And it just, like, carries you into the next scene. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, well, um, so with with that, it's uh, it was a forced liking at first. And then I think that maybe I took a little bit of a break. And then I think that was around in my early 20s no when i was like 19 or so and i met leah and we worked at uh, we worked in the eaton center in retail and a bunch of my best friends we we were we all worked at abercrombie and fish together that's where we met and i remember leah being super heavy into seinfeld from then and at that point i already had a vantage point it was like i was a moderate okay yeah. kind of casual fan of seinfeld and then leah was so obsessed with it and she would talk about it in a way that it really had me thinking about it in a different way. I'm like, yeah. It, yeah. I just sound like a follower now, but like, yeah, it is a really good show. And I think also because now that you're older and you rewatch it, even now, if you rewatch it right now in your 30s, every time you rewatch there's something else that you pick up on, you're like, ah, I really get, I really get this now. It because got funnier me. to me too. Like, because unlike Friends, I didn't, Friends, I did. I rewatched and rewatched and rewatched and rewatched. I had all the DVDs and I had my little DVD player and I'd watch it over and over. Whereas Seinfeld, I think I'd seen all of them like once or twice. And so doing an adult rewatch, like I actually can watch it as an adult instead of just kind of remembering how I felt about it as a kid. And it's a, like, I mean, this is obvious, but it's a fucking funny show. Like it's just, yeah, it is so fucking funny. But it's funny and it hits deep in in a way too maybe that's why both of us like it there's i can understand people that are grown-ups who don't like it and who do find it boring mm-hmm. because there are some lines that at face value it's not it's not funny if you just take it at face value yeah. you're just like oh that's just a thing that he said yeah that's not really funny like even for example one of the things that really hits me or something something that i think about when i think about seinfeld as a whole is jerry talking about like oh well you know when he did when he was talking about not wanting any more friends he's like well you know i already have four i don't want any more and that's something that later on i'm like "Ah." (laughs) that's so genius because it's like yeah you, you don't just be satisfied with what you have you don't need more friends and like the whole show is about how exhausting it is to maintain and nurture these friendships and who you can be authentic with and who you have to be fake around. And yeah. I felt like that was such a deep line. It was funny. It was a lighthearted deep line, which yeah. is, it's, uh, it contradicts itself. Okay, so so much of what Seinfeld and Curb are dealing with are like lighter issue, like not wanting more friends. But also, in a way, everything they're dealing with are, like, these way more fundamental issues of, like, how much are we ever living out how we actually want to live and feel? And how much are we living out, ju- like, what we were saying before, the, no- the unspoken norms of society? 
Um, that's like, are we all just lying yeah. and bullshitting each other all the time about what we actually want to do? Because if so, that's insane. Like, we're all just full of shit all the time. That's so crazy. We're full of shit a majority, a majority of, the, of time. the time. And we all agree to it. We all we all are fine with it. Like, not yeah. fine with it, but we all consent and do it all the time. Yeah. And what's crazy is that when we're not, that's comedy. Yeah. That's why people go to see stand-up. Yeah, hell yeah. That's so true. Say, to hear people say things about their day-to-day life and about things that they're like, oh, we shouldn't be saying or thinking that, but you yeah. just did it. You <laughs> yeah. just did it. Totally. Yeah. Um, that's why even comedy wasn't something that I really actively knew that I wanted to do or pursue and something, I feel like most people fall into comedy anyways, but for me, like it was really falling into it because it was just saying things or having thoughts that people would be like, oh yeah, that that's funny. I'm like, what? It is? Uh, that's just what I thought and I guess a lot of that I do attribute to my mom because my mom yeah. is the Larry David and she just feeds me all of these things so like while they're not me I am the the voice of it yeah so because like, with me sometimes I just feel like uh like my mom is the real act and then almost kind of like I, and again I'm, I'm being that dick that's comparing myself to Larry but like if you know, a lot of people that say, oh, well, Larry's funny because because of George. Yeah. I feel like comparing myself, like, my mom is the George. And yeah. then I'm the, the writer behind it. You know, m- maybe, you know, like, my mom's very funny, but she couldn't get on stage and, like, mm-hmm. you know, present uh, a set. You know, so, like, you're, it's, a, it's collaborative. And I feel like collaboration, right. you know, collaboration's yeah. amazing. We just so, just so devalue it in stand-up. One of the things that I hear from my friends and even people that don't really know me is I love your mom or your mom is so funny. There's this podcast I was doing with some other friends and they're like, we want, can your mom be a guest? Um, or like, could your mom be a host on the podcast? I'm like, she would absolutely hate that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> like she, she has this whole thing. She says that she, she doesn't have any social media at all. So when I send her things and I want to see, even like pull up, sometimes I want her to see an episode. Yeah. She has to, I think now she can because I'm public, but she hates social media that much that she won't even just make a, a, a empty account just yeah. to, just for the just sake of creeping. She yeah. won't do it. Even with Facebook, she always says the same thing when I'm like, okay, you know, all of our other families or members are on WhatsApp and Facebook. Like, just get it just so you can see what's happening. You don't have to post anything. She always goes, Janelle. The, I would rather have a pap smear on live TV. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. I guess I'm not convinced well, you that. What's her, what's the fear? I mean, I can guess what it is. Or, it's or... not a fear. I don't, I don't think it's a fear. Oh, she, she just, just can't does be bothered. It. Also, I th- oh, I think part of it comes from her being a private person. Mm. So Other than her live doesn't... pap smear, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're busting it wide open, but... Because she, she, my mom was a prankster when I was younger, so she would do all these things to scare me. Um, she was like a, she was a, a trailblazer, I guess. She would, she could roll her eyes in the back of her head and flutter it, and she'd be like, Chanel, I have an eye disease. And I'm like, <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> like, not even anything specific, just an eye disease. And then, uh, or she, when we play hide and seek, she would hide for an unreasonably long amount of time <laughs> until I get on the phone and start calling my grandma. Or, or one time I called call the police. <laughs> yeah, so she had to come out and be like, okay, stop. How long would she hide for? 
I don't know the time frame, but yeah, it was it's hard to know when you're a kid. Feel like I needed to call the police. Oh my god, that okay. So I like that you use that you called her a prankster. I mean, some of these are pranks, but it is a very like dramatic, light-hearted term. It's like very euphemistic. Um, yeah. When when we were kids, my Zadie, my grandfather would we'd play hide and seek, and um, we'd have like only inside the house rule. And then he would, like, go hang out in the backyard. And so we would just be, like, looking for him forever. But, like, there was a group of us. Whereas I feel like a one-on-one hide-and-seek is already so intense that, like, to hide forever is pretty ballsy. It's pretty out there. Yeah. And from and I may be misremembering this, but I don't think it was, like, official hide-and-seek. I think it was just her hiding. <laughs> Like, I would be playing some game or something, come up in my room, and she's gone. So a a non-consensual seek. Like, the seek was mandatory, because the hide just happened. Yeah, because I don't see see why I would go and call my my grandma or go and call the cops if she was just really good at hide and seek. (laughs) Like, then I'm trash. (laughs) But also, like, part of a game, like, if I just started playing red rover with you without telling you that would just be me <laughs> running at you like part of when you play a game is is both people signing on to the game for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah so there is that kind of uh sadistic side of her which i do and i know some people may be like oh my god poor child why would she do that and um uh there is something else oh she used to have she used to tell me that i wasn't uh, her kid. <laughs> you told me I wasn't her kid. You know what's cute? Um, She's doing all the things for you that an older sibling would have done. Yeah. She's acting as your yeah. older sibling. Yeah. It's very funny. Um, okay. I'm gonna ask you a few more questions, uh, about Jews. <laughs> I really like, honestly, I want to do another podcast with you where we just talk about whatever. Um. Yeah. Okay. You, you you watched some Seinfeld when you were a kid, um, more later. But I guess my what I was sort of heading towards with all of this is, like, I always registered Seinfeld um, and definitely Curb uh, as being Jewish cause, because I knew, I knew Jerry was a Jew. I knew Larry was a Jew. Uh, Frank and Estelle are so Jewy. Um, there's just, like, a – there's just Judaism Im- embedded into it. And I'm curious if that's something that, like, registered with you or like that you knew that like Judaism was tied into that show at all until later in life or as a kid or anyway yeah absolutely not I had no idea that that was anything to do with being Jewish I didn't even really know because I I didn't grow up around Jewish people yeah I really didn't know um also they never I don't I don't think they were ever I don't think there was ever a point in time where they they go oh they where they explicitly say, "Yeah, I don't." Think oh so. well, that's uh, Jewish. They don't even. Oh, my Jewish mother is no. So, I don't oh, think so. My, yeah, my mother is like this, which I do appreciate. I do have uh, so I know two people who are Jewish who live in New York who aren't fans of Seinfeld mm-hmm. or they haven't really watched Seinfeld. And when I ask them why, the reason is, oh, it's just too close to home. Especially as a New York Jew, they're like, it's it's my life. I see. Okay. I, lo- I love it for that reason, because I think people came up on it and then didn't even realize just how Jewy it was. And then as a result, I got to, uh, you know, if I meet people 
and they, like, never grew up with Jews, especially if they're, like, from a small town or something and they never grew up with Jews, but they've seen Seinfeld, there's, like, already a shorthand there. I'm like, oh, but you get Jews. You, you were, you know, you've seen them. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you, you, you read the pamphlet. Exactly, yeah. And then Curb, like, really puts it out there. Like, Curb, Curb ha, you know, ha, talks about Judaism, and there's the episode with the yeah. cross. The Palestinian chicken. Exactly. Actually, now that you mentioned that, um, Seinfeld, you can watch the entire series of Seinfeld on Hulu. Well, what Hulu does that I love, and because Hulu's NBC, so they have curated Seinfeld playlists. Because you know, most people that watch Seinfeld, you don't watch it from yeah, you don't watch it in chronological order. Also, because you don't need to, because there's no real consistent storyline totally. there. So they have playlists that you can watch, and one of them is like the Jewish playlist. So it's all the episodes where that's so Jewish fun. Things are highlighted. Oh, I love that. That's really, really, really fun. I wonder, you know, um, when The Office went on Netflix, all these Gen Z kids watched it and, like, are quoting it now, and it's a part of their lives. I don't I don't think Seinfeld's gotten that um, rebirth yet, but I would love yeah. it if it did. And I hate to be the pessimist here, but I don't think Seinfeld will reach the level of Office fandom. No, you don't think so? Why not? Yeah. I think there's the the disconnect because there's someone, maybe not just one person, but a bunch of people who pointed out that in a lot of '90s sitcoms, but mm. especially Seinfeld, a lot of the the conflict in the show can easily be solved with a cell phone, oh. or solved with just any modern technology, oh, social media, cell phone, whatever. So I think there's that disconnect where we went through both. That's mm-hmm. why I'm so happy that we were born when we were, that we got to see both sides of it. We Thank got to be, God. I'm just so happy I didn't have social media in, in high school. I wouldn't or like have made all it. This I, that they have now in high school. I couldn't have handled it. It wouldn't have been, I would have been right. 10 times more anxious. Like I already had social anxiety back then. It would have been so much, or maybe who knows, maybe it would have been the opposite. Maybe I would have been extremely confident, but then I, I would have gone through the journey that I went through. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't so have sure. it. Yeah, yeah I, I don't like it. I don't like it when like teenagers are like sure of themselves and like know who no, they are. No, it doesn't I mean, look it's... right. And they dress <laughs> cute. Like they put themselves together nicely. You yeah. need to make a lot of mistakes and not and like go th- go through a weird phase where you don't know how to dress. I don't know why yeah. I feel that way, but I'm really sure of it. <laughs> yeah, especially they're out here giving dating advice and career advice by like 19 or 20. I, mean, I was duped. I was duped. I watched this girl on TikTok. And I was like, yeah, oh my God, so true. And she seemed so confident and sure of herself. And she dressed so well. She's 20. She duped me. She looked like she was 30. And not, whatever. She gave me good advice. I'm going to take it. But it was very jarring to be like, that's, that was 10 years ago for me. Um, Yeah. I developed late. And so I just did everything late. But I also remember, this is a really funny thing. (laughs) So my mom has like, big old titties <laughs> like big old two titties big old bitties big old bitties and i have like little teeny tiny titties and i think that okay i think part of my personality is like someone who developed late and like so i feel a little mm, yeah like have the personality of a kid who would have developed late but also i was so sure that cuz my mom got her boobs when she was 18 i was so sure <laughs> That my boobs were just going to drop at 18. Like, I was just going to have giant the unveiling. tits. The unveiling. Yeah, yeah. You're a, a bummest for your... 
after your boobs. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Or 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a bat, yeah, bat mitzvah. I don't know why I was going to say quinceanera. Bat mitzvah makes so much more sense. Like, you know, my mom, like... Like, you know how your parents walk you down the stairs, but instead of hooking their arms under my arms, they just tuck their arms under my big titties. Anyway. And so I was so sure... <laughs> I was so sure that when I was 18, I would have huge boobs. And so I started to develop the personality of somebody who would have like big boobs and I would tell my friends each summer I'd be like you guys my mom got boobs at 18 so when I turn 18 I'm gonna have huge boobs so just get ready you know like get ready for Laura with boobs big T energy big T energy exactly and I kept warning them about it and being like like two years one year away um and I was like I'm gonna be the alpha (laughs) the most intense countdown for (laughs) like a hundred percent and I was like as soon as they drop I'm gonna be the alpha you just wait (laughs) And they never came. And and so I just stopped talking about it, you know. Like, each year passed. I was like, 19, 20. 20 feels late. 20 feels like they're not coming. And so I just stopped talking about it. But my personality was, I had still sort of gotten to live as, like, a giant-titted woman for a brief amount of time. That is hilarious. <laughs> so at one point, you're, at some point, you're like, oh, I guess I got it from my dad. A hundred percent. The prophecy will not be fulfilled. I should have known. I, I have a lot of his, <laughs> I have a lot of his uh, body proportions. I should have known I was going to get the, the dad tits. Um, yeah, the prophecy was not fulfilled. That's right. Okay, what else? Oh, I want to play two truths, two truths and a lie with you about Larry David. Okay. Ooh. I wonder, you might actually get okay, these. They're really weird though. Okay. So I'm going to tell you the, all three of them, and then you'll tell me what you think the lie is. Okay. A, um, Larry joined a fraternity in the 60s. B, when he was 13, his friends dared him to steal a pack of M&Ms from the convenience store, but he felt guilty, so he told his mom, and she made him return them. C, he was in an episode of Hannah Montana. So what's the lie? Was two truths and a lie? Yeah. I feel like this seems obvious, but now I think that I'm being tricked because there's no way he could have been in Hannah Montana. That has to be the lie. You tell me. Is that your official answer? And I'm going to look dumb. It's going to be like, oh, episode 368, you played a janitor. You're not going to look dumb. That's the whole point. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to win. I want to trick you. Um, it was not the lie. The lie was the M&M's thing, which is a story I stole from my mom. Um, what? He was on an episode of Hannah that and was Hannah. The, that was the only one I really was sh- sure was true. You gotta be, you gotta be specific in your lies. And you gotta believe mm. them. Because then they're not lies. Um, also because I have a Jewish friend that told me a similar story that they did something at, at, at camp or something and then they told their mom and... <laughs> So then that, I'm like, oh, this checks out. That's the same pattern. We, we definitely told our moms a lot of stuff uh, growing up <laughs> yeah. because our moms convinced us that we apps. Because they t- convinced us they could read our minds anyway, so we might as well just tell them. See, see, that's where the difference between Jamaicans and Jews lie because it's the opposite. You're not telling, you keep it, yeah, you're not telling them anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, like, you, you, don't, you don't overshare. You don't share, like, your personal life. You don't share, period. Period, okay. Okay, did they share with you or no? I feel, I feel it goes both ways. Yeah. yeah. They, okay. they share, but then depending on what it is, if it's like negative, then they don't. Okay. So yeah, that's the thing. If it, if it's something negative, we just don't share because we want to look good always. Okay. That is very different. Definitely. Mm-hmm. We overshare 
quite literally everything. To and especially <laughs> the negative. Um, okay, wait. Hannah Montana. He was on an episode because his daughter loved the show, so he, like, did it for her, I guess, which is really cute. So she could be Miley Cyrus. Wait, what did he, what was his character? Um, I think he, he played himself, and the whole joke was that Miley Cyrus, was, or Hannah Montana, was actually more famous than Larry David, and I think he was, oh, I think he was waiting in line at a restaurant. Like, I think it was maybe an ode to the Chinese food, up, Chinese restaurant episode, and I think I'm right about that. I should, I'm, I do the worst research for this show. Okay, wait, I'm going to quickly play a little clip of this Hannah Montana episode. Does anybody work here? <laughs> wow, when you apologize, you don't fool around. This is the coolest restaurant in town. Well, it's the least I could do after the way I acted. What, what's the deal? I've been waiting an hour for a table here. Well, when I have a table, I'll tell you. <laughs> really? <laughs> It's an ode to the oh, episode. That's, such a, uh, that's really cute. That's very that's very adorable. That because now it probably wasn't until she grew up that she really understood how what he really did there. Yeah, it's really sweet. I was shocked yeah. he was in a fraternity. I mean, I don't know why, but to be part of like that kind of a organized brotherhood feels really like out of yeah. character. I agree with you on that, but I think it also is a very American thing. In the States, it's more common for you to join a fraternity sorority than not. That's true. And he did join, like, it was, no, I think you're, I think it is, like, way more built into the culture there. And he also, like, he joined Tau Epsilon Phi, which was founded uh, in 1910 by 10 Jewish men at Columbia as a response to the existence of similar organizations which would not admit Jewish members. So it was, like... Oh. A Jewish fraternity, which makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah. Okay, Janelle, thank you so much for doing this episode. It was so thank fun. Thank you so much for having me. This is so, it's yeah, actually, legitimately, I'm I'm so proud of you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I can't think of something else to say that it encompasses everything. You're the best. Thank you so much for doing this episode. so much to janelle dennis you can follow janelle on twitter or instagram at janelle dion that's spelled j-h-a-n-e-l-l-e-d-i-o-n-n-e i did a lot of research about larry david we did end up having a very freewheeling conversation instead i would like to leave it open that many people can choose the same guests over and over <clears throat> so we're going to call this larry david part one okay this is the larry david cinematic universe episode we talked a lot about his creations and his impact on television and culture and on us the show is hosted and edited by me, Laura Lebo. Executive producer is Michael Freeman. We're distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. Follow me on Instagram at Laura Lebo and Twitter at Tweebo. Follow the CJN on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Find other podcasts at thecjn.ca. Please make sure to subscribe and review the podcast. It really helps us out, and we're nice. Mm-hmm.